0: morning, uh, we're going to just take, take two weeks and uh, just talk a little bit about uh, our Bibles. Last year, or sorry, last Sunday was the start of a new year, and probably you know this, but many pastors stood up in front of their congregations across the globe and encouraged them to read their Bibles more. That'd be a good thing, right? Um, Barna Research tells us over half of the U.S. population opens a Bible less than two times a year. So let that sink in for just a moment. Over half of the U.S. population opens a Bible less than two times a year. One out of six Americans will pick up a Bible once a week. Sometimes that's only to take to church, though not necessarily to read or open it for themselves. Which leads you to this question, like, well, wouldn't you assume then that a lack of Bible knowledge leads people to a life away from God? Again, and and I think this is true in many cases, uh, the children of believers grow up in a home where they don't see the word of God impacting their own mom and dad. Therefore, the question is, why should it have any impact on my life? That makes sense. So I think, well, the answer then is let's just get our kids into the Bible more. Let's get, our, let's get our families into the Bible more. But what if I told you I recently read a book and this was one of the opening lines? Reading the Bible led me to becoming an atheist. This was written by a young man who, was, who had grown up in the church had gone to Sunday school, had, had sat in, in, in the church auditorium and listened to his preacher preach, his pastor preach, and he said, when I started reading the Bible for myself, I decided, no way. I think that might be strange to some of us, but if you read the Bible regularly, you would have to admit there's many things in the Bible that are very troubling to us. And the problem is we often ignore those, those issues that are troubling to us or that we don't understand, and, and we just skip right over it. We don't hear, we don't hear sermons preached about them. We, we don't do Bible studies on the weird things that you find in the Scriptures. And so when a critic who does not believe in the Bible stands up in front of a group of kids who do believe in the Scriptures and begins asking them strange or hard questions, they don't know what to say. Questions like, why is it so bad to you Christians that King Herod killed all the babies in Bethlehem, but it's okay that God killed all the firstborn in Egypt? They'll take them to verses like these behind me and say, how come it seems as if your Bible says that slavery is okay? how come your bible says that there's this male dominance where women aren't even allowed to speak if you thought of somebody who didn't know anything at all about god didn't know anything at all about the bible and they started in the book of genesis think about what they would come across very quickly think about this don't know anything about the bible don't know anything about god and it takes just a few verses and they are reading about a talking snake something that would be more in line with the cartoon jungle book than a theology they would talk about they would read about animals following a man onto a boat <laughs> a flood that covered the entire world people who lived for 9 Hundred years fire falling from heaven and a woman turning into a literal pillar of salt that's in the first 20 chapters of our bible imagine someone not having a clue opening up and reading that or if they skip straight to the New Testament, they'd come across this, this impossibility of a, of a man named Jesus who spits in the, in the dirt and takes that mud and rubs it on someone's eyes and heals them from blindness. What? Or a dude who's been dead for four days, Jesus calls his name and he just walks out of the grave. Or that he can speak to a tree and the tree like withers away. Or, or the craziest thing is that he literally dies, is buried in a tomb, and three days later rises again and floats up to heaven. That's what your New Testament teaches. And if they were to get past the first 20 chapters of Genesis in the Old Testament, they'd come across things like a talking donkey, priests who wore special undergarments, and placed blood on their ears and toes and get this they'd come across unicorns in our bible a unicorn so if you're a young person being presented with these challenges how do you respond You can't just skip it. You can't just ignore it. Like you you have to defend your faith and you're presented with these scriptures that some seem so impossible and others seem so contrary to our culture. What do you do? And so I do, man, my heart is like, yes, as a church, yes, let's read the Bible more this year. But even more, let's begin to understand Stand our Bible more this year. I recently read a book, and I'm going to take four truths that I read from this book, and I'm going to take two weeks and I'm going to share them with you. And I don't know if this interests you at all. I would encourage you to read this book behind me. I'm going to give you the four foundations that you'd find in the, tr- in the book. But if you want to go deeper, this book was so helpful to me. How not to read the Bible by a man named Dan Kimball. And I say that because here's the thing. Our understanding of the Bible is so important. This Do we believe this is a gift from God? Absolutely. This Bible is a gift from God, but it could be Misunderstood. I think many Christians today, many Christians today, they approach the Bible and, and they make themselves the centerpiece of the Bible by saying, this book tells me how to live. No, that's not the purpose of this book. This book is not telling you and instructing you and telling you this is this is what Christians have to do. Now there are many important instructions, don't get me wrong, and we find, we find examples and patterns and instructions of how to live a happy, joyful life following Jesus in this book, but that's not the purpose of this book. The purpose of this book is not about you or me. The purpose of this book is about God, and it's about his revelation about he is our creator and he wants to tell us who what he is like he wants to he wants us to understand that he has worked out a drama that begins in the garden in the book of genesis it continues to play out all the way through the scriptures we read and revelation is not written yet and we're somewhere in the middle which means it's not about us it's all about him that is what we want to understand about our scriptures because if we get that right these crazy strange things we read in our bible we'll find out how they fit in not into our thinking how they fit into his story let me just answer the unicorn thing because there are answers the bible was originally written in a language called hebrew there's a word that was used called reem r-e-e-m in hebrew that word means an animal of great strength with a prominent horn it was actually an ox when they translated it from greek from hebrew into greek they used the word monacherous which means one horn they, They narrowed everything down from this great animal with a prominent horn to just the word one horn And when they took it from greek to english, it became unicorn which to us today is a mythological creature Now if you were to read any scripture except the king james the king james still says unicorn All the other modern translations will use the word wild ox So actually for someone to claim your Bible uses the word unicorn they'd have to go back hundreds and hundreds of years To use a word that doesn't mean the same thing when it was written that it means today See see there's answers for these things and it's important for us to know it So let's go through four important truths about understanding your Bible first And I have to go quickly just for time's sake. I would love to spend weeks on each one of these but first the Bible is a library the Bible's not a book. The Bible's a library, not a book. There's 66 different books that are found inside of this one cover. You think of a library, you walk in one building, and you see all these multiple different volumes of books. Written by all kinds of different authors at all kinds of different times and that's exactly what your bible is 66 books written over 1500 years different times and cultures by over 40 authors And that becomes very important for us to understand this was not all written at the same time by the same person to the same people If you were to walk into a library And say I want to know more about the civil war would you go to the poetry section? If you were if you were interested in knowing more about the civil war, would you go to the fiction section? No. if you want to know about the civil war you would go to the history section and you would open up a book that would tell you facts About the civil war, but but here's something that I want you to think through Somewhere in that civil war book You might come across a song that that the soldiers used to march to it's a book about facts There's actually a song that soldiers used to march to, but when you start reading the words of the song called the Battle Hymn of the Republic, I want you to just just think with me, and I want you to think literally like these words actually mean what they say. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible quick sword. His truth is marching on in the middle of a long paragraph about the civil war which are facts 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 you come across a song that is not facts imagery poetic there's no grapes of wrath he doesn't have real lightning not this terrible quick sword he's using his truth isn't actually marching so you went from literal understanding to a poetic imagery going to go back to literal facts about the civil war that is so important to understand about our bible we need to know as we're reading it are we reading history because there's a lot of history about the nation of israel but there's also letters in here there's also poetry in here there's also prophecy in here and we need to know what we're writing and here's the thing you might find in the same book of the bible facts poetry and prophecy which means we've got to know what we're looking at. I want to show you a verse that a lot of people would use to discredit the Bible. Psalm 137, verse 9. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rock. Why? When Jesus stands up in the New Testament on the Sermon on the Mount and uses his blessed, we call them the Beatitudes, What he's saying is you will be blessed if you do this Is this verse saying you will be blessed if you take little ones and dash them against a rock What are we reading here? This is so important because there are people who will key in on a verse like this and say This is the kind of god you have that he would bless someone who takes babies and throws them against a rock And here's what we have to understand. This is the end verse of a chapter of poetry It was written by a group of people who were living in Israel and an an invading army of Babylon came in and when they did, they threw their babies over the cliffs. And they took many of these Israelites back to Babylon as slaves. And and these Babylonians said, hey, sing us about your God, the God that couldn't save you. And Psalm 137 is about an Israelite who was asked to play the songs of Jehovah in a foreign land, a land where they had hurt his family and his heart cries and says how can i sing the songs of god in a foreign land in his mind he begins to think oh lord where is justice here's what we have to understand this is not an instruction this verse is not something that took place this verse is a heart's cry for god's justice to come and make things right but here's the thing. He's not actually going to, the psalmist isn't going to do this. We have a God who says, Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And as Christians, we understand our hearts might think something, and so somebody might write something that their heart is saying, but it doesn't mean they're doing it. Does that make sense? We have to know the Bible is a library, it's not a book, and there are different reasons for the writings. Number two, the Bible was written for us, but the Bible was not written to us. It was written for us, but it was not written to us. And I mentioned this as we worked our way through Galatians last year a number of times. The Apostle Paul wrote the letter of Galatians to a group of people at a specific time in a specific place for a specific reason. The book of Galatians was not written to you and me. It was written for you and me. But because it was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God and we as believers today have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us, those words are alive and they're meaningful to us today. But here's the thing. If we approach the book of Galatians or anywhere else in the Bible and say, what is this for me? What is this for me? We might get it wrong because it wasn't written to you. It was written for you the bible certainly has application to our lives today but until we understand the original intent of the words we will get the application wrong many times let me just show you what i mean if you were to come across a note that says i'm going to surf on the web do we know what that means let me ask you a question what if you found this same note from 1980? What if you found a note that was written in 1980 that said, I'm going to surf on the web? Could it mean the same thing it means to you and I? It couldn't. There was no World Wide Web. There might be a place on the beaches in California where the riptides were so strong, people were often caught in the current, and they nicknamed it the web, and someone was actually grabbing a surfboard to go surf on the web? But it couldn't mean what we think it means today because it was written at a time and a culture where things were very, very different. And here's the thing. There are going to be verses in your Bible, and understand what I mean by this, there are verses in your Bible that don't apply to you today. They were written to a different group of people with a different culture at a different time. And we have to understand that that's why we don't follow many of the laws you would read in the old testament through exodus leviticus numbers and deuteronomy because they weren't written to us but they were written for us but we have to understand why they were written and we'll come to that in just a second but i want to give you an example of a verse that we regularly use jeremiah chapter 29 verse number 11 for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope You've probably seen this verse used lots of times for lots of different reasons. But if we don't understand this verse was not written to us, we'll get it wrong. See, I just want you to read the verse before it. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. Here's what God was saying. There's gonna be two generations of people who will think I have abandoned you because you are gonna spend 70 years in a foreign land. You are gonna spend 70 years having to care for other people in a faraway place. And you're gonna ask, Have you abandoned us? And I'm telling you ahead of time, I have not abandoned you. In fact, I know the plans I have for you and they are good plans. Now, if we don't understand that, we might read Jeremiah 29 11 and say like, hey, you know what? God's got good plans. For Here, here's where this verse becomes important. When we are going through a time where we might think God has forsaken us. He's forgotten about us. He's abandoned us. That's when Jeremiah 29 11 comes into play hugely because we realize God never abandons his people. He has good plans for his people, even when they don't. But we have to know what's going on To understand the scriptures were not written to us But written for us Third Never read a bible verse Never read a bible verse Always look to see how does this verse fit into the chapter How does the chapter fit into the book and how does the book fit into the overarching storyline of scripture Could you imagine walking into somebody who was finishing up a Star Wars trilogy movie marathon and you walked in right when Darth Vader turned to Luke Skywalker and said, Luke, I am your father. What does that mean to you? You walk right in, Luke, I am your father. What does that even mean? I mean, you want to know, well, who are these people? What's already happened what's happening right now what does this mean for the future see see the context huge and so we don't stop by saying well this is what this one verse says we say what is this verse how does this verse fit into the overarching story of scripture for example we just finished we just finished up the christmas season luke chapter 2 the angel comes to tell the shepherds about the birth of the messiah the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. But here's the thing. This, this doesn't just come out of nowhere. The reason it's good news is because of everything we already know. Like there was sin in the garden. But that God promised to one day send a deliverer. And he made a, made a covenant with a man named Abraham. He saved the world through a man named Noah. He delivered his people through a man named Moses. He led them into the promised land through a man named Joshua. He gave them kings and priests and sacrifices and prophets, all to say, I'm sending a deliverer. He's coming. You keep your eyes focused on me. There's a Messiah I will send to you. And then these Skies light up as the angel comes to say, He's here. Who's here? The Christ! He's here! Do you know why many people didn't get excited about the birth of Jesus? They didn't know who the Christ was. They didn't care that there was a Christ coming. They didn't need the Christ. But oh... There were some who were waiting, who knew the scriptures to say, ha that's who this is. So when we read the birth of Jesus, we, we get to see God's faithfulness revealed all the way back to his creation and all those promises made in the Old Testament, boom, comes to be fulfilled with the birth of jesus but see we can forget about that when we key in on this one verse that seems to make no sense and well well, the well the bible says that you know what god said you can't eat shrimp and pork and how stupid is that so if god says they can't eat shrimp or pork i just throw this whole bible away it doesn't make any sense time out let me tell you there was a day when i stood in front of a group of about 40 young boys and i told them that they could not eat sugar they could not drink pop the next three months of their life if you were to take a snapshot of my life in that very small minute moment and say that guy he's so stupid he tells people that they can't have sugar and he tells this guy he tells these guys they can't have pop what an idiot and here's what you'd miss you'd miss the heart behind it The heart that says, I want you guys to go out on that wrestling mat and I want you to wrestle where you don't get tired because of what the sugar does to your body and what that carbonation does to your lungs. I want all of that out of your body so that you can step out on that mat so you can wrestle as hard as you can. So maybe one day you can have a medal around your neck or maybe a trophy in your hand. As a coach, I don't get the trophies. I don't get the medals. You do. My instruction to you about no sugar and no pop it's not about me it's about you so we read these these dietary laws that we think are so stupid we realize but but if we just throw it away we we miss god's heart and could god have been caring about the uh, the health needs of his people sure he could have I don't necessarily know that that was the main reason. I think God was setting his people up to be different than the world around them so that their lives, as different from the world around them, could be a light to these people so that they could see this God that these weirdos serve is a really, really good, loving, caring, blessed being. They might want be a part two i i I, i'm going to just give you one one last thing and then then try to wrap this up remember we talked about what's different between herod killing a bunch of babies in bethlehem and god killing a bunch of people the firstborn in egypt what's different about that well here's one thing herod sent people down without any warning to kill all these babies god sent moses to a man named pharaoh and said repent And Pharaoh refused. He sent him back another time. He said, Repent. And he refused. He said, If you keep doing this, God's going to send some really bad things your way. You're going to want to repent. And Pharaoh refused to repent. And so there was plague one, and plague two, and plague three, and plague four, and plague five, and plague six, and plague seven, and plague eight, and plague nine. That's a lot of warnings that, that, that Pharaoh's getting. And then God sends Moses back one more time to say, Tonight, if you don't repent, all the children will be killed There was a warning and there was a way out because he said but if 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 you take the blood of a of a of a sacred lamb and you you wipe it on the the doorpost you have a way out but there was no repentance and there was no following the way and so destruction came Very different the way a patient God giving many chances to repent than a king who just says, wipe them out. Because if we look at the greater storyline of Scripture, we understand one day the entire world is going to stand before God and they will be held accountable. And listen, our loving, kind God is going to sentence people to eternal damnation. But not without giving them every chance to repent and giving them away that's our way very different I'm going to say I got the I'm going to finish the the fourth point later so I I, want to close by just sharing this because what we have to understand is there is an overarching storyline of scripture and we have to see where do we fit it? Not not where does God fit into my life, but where, do I, where does my life fit in on the storyline of Scripture? Because it should encourage us that our our lives are not just a singular mark somewhere and everything else happens around us, but no, we are a part of His story. We might be a mark, but we're a mark on His story. So today is... My sixth anniversary of getting to be your pastor It was january 8 2017 when I stood up here for the first time I as I drove down 340 Uh coming toward the church. I remembered how I felt that first day. I was scared to death today I was excited as can be But I got a card this week That really helped me understand How my life fits into the storyline of scripture When our family moved here, Troy was a junior in high school. Troy finished up his junior year and then his senior year here at Mount Carmel Christian Academy. And I'm so thankful for those of you that allowed Mount Carmel Christian Academy to become a reality. And for those of you that have kept it going, praise the Lord for Mount Carmel Christian Academy. When Trevor was going into his senior year of high school here, though, circumstances led it where Trevor would have been the only young man or would have been the only person in his senior class. And Jamie and I did not feel like that would be healthy for our young man. And so with the, with the approval of the authority and leadership of the church, we enrolled Trevor into Luray High School. But see, there was a time, and the deacons could tell you this, there was a time leading up to that where my heart was already asking God, how can our family do more for the kingdom? Not just me as a pastor, how can our family do more for the kingdom? And the Lord had laid it on my heart through my son's senior year that he would grow more outside of the environment of a Christian school and in an environment of a public school where he would no doubt have to take a stand for what he said he believed jamie and i prayed and prayed and prayed about it and we were okay with it but it wasn't a possibility because well we needed to send trevor to mount carmel christian academy as the pastor but when that circumstances led to him being the only one the, the, the deacons and leadership very kindly said if you want to make a change you can and so we talked to trevor and said we are making a kingdom decision I don't, we've never our our family was never engaged in the in the public school. Jamie and I both grew up in a Christian school from little to up. We didn't know anything about it, and it was scary to us because of what people had said. We placed our son in Lou Ray High School, and immediately Trevor began to make a, an, an impact. And it was M, it was Trevor and, and Emily. You, the two of you, were sitting together the first week of school in an FCA Fellowship of Christian Athletes meeting, and you were meeting with um, whoever the leader was uh, from the region, and Coach Jeffries from Luray High School, the football coach, walked in, and he looked at me, didn't know who I was, and I said, yeah, I'm I'm this guy's dad, pointing to Trevor, and he goes, oh, oh, you are, oh, and Aaron, I don't know if you were there at that meeting or, or somebody else, and he said, yeah, and this is the guy that would like to be a part of the FCA for the football team, and because of his character in about four days, that coach, Coach Jeffries, said, yeah, well, sure, I'd love to have you come, Coach Jeffries and I, we developed a wonderful friendship. And I got to go to the football games. I get to talk at halftime. I get to speak to the guys uh, once a week at practice. And and even when Coach Jeffries' dad passed away during the pandemic, I went to his house and got got to pray with the man. He and I are good friends. Well, that led to becoming friends with Matt. Because Coach Jeffries and, and Coach Huff talked together, and, and Coach Huff asked me when Trevor joined the, the basketball team his senior year, Hey, would you like to come be a part of the, the, the basketball team? And so I got to go and talk to the basketball team at Lurie High School once a week and got to go to their halftimes and, and after the games. And man, just I, lo- I love pouring my life into people like that. It was so cool, right? I loved it. And, and Coach uh, Huff and, and Nikki, you and your family came over for Trevor's graduation party to our house and, and got to know them and and look and man you guys are such a integral part of our church right now and it started because you went to a public school yeah so then the next year we had to make a really tough decision about what we were going to do with our daughter trinity and jamie and i prayed and we talked about it and we're like what is not what does brian and jamie want not what does mount carmel want what does god want what is the kingdom need. We put Trinity into Lou High School, taking her out of a wonderful school, a blessed school. Please do not think that there's in any way that we are trying to compare these two schools. We love Mount Carmel Christian Academy. We are for We are 100% behind it, but we were kingdom thinking. Trinity was that, was that first year, her sophomore year, it was all... Um, online stuff because of COVID going on, so she didn't get in there much. Her junior year, she started and made good friends with this young lady who's with us today, Martina, and Trinity and and Martina became, you know, really, really great friends, and Martina's been to our house numbers of times, and we love that girl and, uh, and her family very, very much, but I'll be honest with you. With Trevor, we saw some immediate results, like, God, this is what you're doing, and we saw it, But with Trinity, I've had people say your daughter's a light and she's got a big smile on her face as she walks through the hallway and she wears her Jesus shirts, as as so many others do. But I just kept praying, God, could could you make a kingdom difference? So About, I'd say eight weeks ago, Trin texted me one day and said, hey, one of my teachers, would you reach out to her and pray with her her husband's really sick I said sure so I reached out I text texted her and her name is Melissa and I texted Melissa and said I'm, yeah, I just want to let you know Tr- you don't know me Trinity loves you uh she asked me to just reach out and I, I left her a few voice texts and prayed with her read her some scriptures I offered to go over to her house and meet with her and her husband and just pray with them and she said no no that's I think there was just like this this little bit of a distance that that needed to be there in the moment But he wasn't doing well and and she would let me know occasionally about the updates of his health and it was right before Thanksgiving I said hey, can I come over because I guess there was there was quite a bit of family coming in town I said I'd love to come over and pray with your family and it just it didn't work out well and I think it was the first week of December Melissa, she, she texted me and said, my husband's just been admitted to the ICU at UVA. You come? And I said, sure, absolutely. So I, I drove over to UVA. His name is Chuck. Never met Chuck before. She told me to stay outside the room when she walked in, and she told me later that he was pretty upset at her for asking me to come. We stood there and I, I was actually there when the doctors came in and told Chuck that uh, we're gonna do one more we're gonna do one more test tomorrow and when we find out the results of this test we're gonna know whether you're gonna be a candidate for a liver transplant or not. And if, if you're not a candidate for a liver transplant, I'm sorry. There's nothing more we can do. But hopefully, hopefully. That doctor walked out of the room. He knew why I was there. Chuck knew why I was there. And he's like, well, you going to go and pull up a seat or what? Yes, sir. We talked about his family. We talked about his work. And I said, well, Chuck, you know I'm a pastor, right? I do. That I, can I ask you a question that I love to ask people all the time? If God were to meet you outside the gates of heaven and say, why should I let you into my kingdom? chuck what would you say well he told me about being a good person and he is a good person told me about being generous and he was generous hearing the stories and i said so chuck basically what you're saying is this if god were to meet you outside the gates of heaven and say why should i let you into my kingdom you'd say well because i try to be a really good person as best i can and he said yeah yeah you could that's a good summary and i said chuck can i ask you one more question he said sure I said, if you could be a good enough person on your own to earn your way into the kingdom of heaven, why did Jesus have to send his son, or why did God have to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross? And he looked at me, like, said, I have no idea. And then he said, But I hope you're going to tell me. We said, Sat for about a half hour 45 minutes something like that and i i showed him how god created the world in perfection we sinned and we ruined that perfection of god and that brought a distance to god that we can't get on our own no matter how much good we have because it's the sin that is our barrier but that god loved us so much he sent his son who would come live a perfect life who would be put on a cross, and when he was on the cross, he suffered the wrath of God for the sin of the world. He was sinless, but he suffered for the sins of the world. He took our sin upon himself, and, and, and I showed him First, 2 Corinthians 5.21, which basically says that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God through Christ. And we talked, and I asked questions, He asked questions, and we chatted. And after about 40 minutes, I said, so Chuck, are you at a place where um, you believe that Jesus is the Messiah that God sent to deliver the world? And do you believe that as the Messiah, Jesus died for the sins of the world, including yours? Because that is the faith that you need to enter God's kingdom. He looked at me, and as genuine as anyone has ever been he said absolutely we prayed together melissa sent me some nice texts since from that moment a few times from that moment but then they got the news that chuck was not going to get a liver transplant <laughs> and it was just a few days before christmas when Trinity and Martina and I loaded up in a car and we drove drove over to Newmarket and we got to go into the home where Chuck was, knew he was dying and where Melissa knew that her husband was dying. And we we talked. I, I sat there and shared some scripture with him. We prayed together. I held his hand and I prayed with him knowing I may not see this man again on this side of eternity. We were there. Melissa said, hey, Chuck, tell him what you tell me every day. And he said, well, I tell her that uh, if I were to meet God outside the gates of heaven, my only way in is through the cross of Christ. (laughs) We got the call. A few days later. And I, I went over to the house, and I, I hugged her when we found out that Chuck uh, had passed away. I prayed with her, and with her daughter who was there, and her son-in-law. There was no, there was no service, no funeral service, no public, anything like that. And We stopped by once, uh, I think right around New Year's. And I got this card this week. Hey, Pastor, God placed Trinity into my life so you could be placed in Chuck's. That day at UVA, I saw peace come over my husband as he listened to you and prayed with you. I hope you know how much you have done for me and the girls and the peace we have knowing that you showed Chuck the way. in that moment, it was like, this, see, this is his story. It's his story. Like why, why did these things happen? Why did we make choices? Why was God leading us certain ways that weren't good with everyone, but like, it was always a heart that said, God, what you want is what I want. God placed Trinity into my life. So you could be placed in chucks. But why we can't just read one verse. We're like one verse in the storyline of Scripture. And you're going to be able to affect someone else who's going to be able to say, that, that person pointed me to Christ and it's part of his grand story. I'm thankful for all God's done in six years here. There's so many of you that we love in such ways, in so many ways that you have loved us. And I'm so grateful for that in these six years. We've gained a daughter in law, we've gained so many friends. I just want to keep going back to Jesus every day saying, whatever you want, I want to be a part of your story. Whatever that looks like and whatever that means, I don't know. Oh, man it's so good when you sit back like this is his story and he's writing it and he wants to partner with me to be a part of it he wants to partner with you today in writing his story So, as you pick up your bible this week please read it please please read it try to think how does this fit into the overarching storyline of scripture and rejoice That God is using you in his story. We'll we'll pick up number four. Next, would you pray with me? Pastor Michael, I'd love if you could come play with us. Father, I thank you so much for who you are. That's why we have that Bible. That's why we have the Word of God to tell us who God is, how, and the character of God, the person of God, the love of God. The overwhelming grace of God and how we fit into that story. I thank you for six years here at Mount Carmel. They've not always been easy days. But I look at your life and shoo, those days you suffered, always knowing that it was a part of a greater story. you are writing for our redemption so we could be with you for eternity. You're a good, good God. Father, I don't, I don't know the, those who have gathered together today, you know, I don't know how you're writing their stories, but I have no doubt that there are, there are instances taking place in lives today sitting in this room that if we could step back and if you would uncover what you're doing, we would joyfully we would joyfully continue in the the suffering that we feel because of what you're doing. We just can't see it. So help us to go back to your word. And as we go back to your word, help us to see this greater storyline of redemption that you have for us, that you're writing for us, that we get to be a part of.